The following audio is from Story City Church in Burbank, California. Thank you for listening. For more information on Story City, you can find us online at storycitychurch.com or on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Story City Church. Hi, good morning. My name is Hera, and I have the honor of reading part of our scripture today. Um, Will you please stand with me for the reading of God's word? I will be reading from chapter uh, Philippians 4, uh, 12 to 13. I know how to make do with little, and I know how to make do with a lot. In any and all circumstances, I have learned the secret of being content, whether well-fed or hungry, whether in abundance or in need, I'm able to do all things through him who strengthens me. And now I'll be reading in Arabic. فَأَنَا أَعْرِفُ كَيْفَ أَعِيشُ وَقْتَ الْحَاجَةِ وَوَقْتَ الْوَفِرَةِ فَفِي كُلِّ وَقْتٍ وَفِي كُلِّ ظَرْفٍ تَدَرَّبْتُ أَنْ أَرْضَى فِي الشَّبْعِ وَالْجُوعِ أَسْتَطِيعُ أَنْ أُوَاجِهْ كُلِّ الظُّرُوفِ بِالْمَسِيحِ الَّذِي يُقَوِّنِي This is the word of the Lord. All right. Thank you, Hera. Appreciate that. So, fam, how are you guys doing this morning? Oh, my goodness. This is going to be a rough Sunday. You guys, y'all going to be okay? Okay, I'm, I'm getting worried about you all. Well, good morning again. My name is Jared. Welcome to the Burbank location of Story City Church. Uh, we are excited to have you with us this morning. We want you to know that your story is welcome here. We value your story. We actually believe that it contributes to our identity as a community. And so, thank you. I want you to know a little bit about our church, and that is one of our goals, uh, one of our main goals, besides glorifying God, and one of the ways we glorify God is to be a healthy church, to be a healthy church, which means having healthy relationships with Jesus and people. And it comes from Jesus' statement in Luke chapter 10, verse 27, where he said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And this process of becoming healthy is called discipleship or apprenticeship. We use the word apprentice here. And so what is a healthy apprentice of Jesus? It's probably important for us to know. And so we would define a healthy apprentice of Jesus like this. That they are increasingly engaged in learning, believing, and living out the gospel, and helping others to do the same. They are becoming healthy spiritually, emotionally, socially, and economically. Healthy apprentices proclaim and display the gospel to others in a way that leads to healthy people and healthy communities. So it's cyclical. The more healthy we get, the more we lead people into health, the healthier the people around us become. So how do we practically do that? Here at Story City, we say that we do that through engaging in our discipleship rhythms. And that is worship and service. Uh, (laughs) Worship and service. Thank you. Living in groups. Learning in studies and serving in teams. And so we feel like if we can get into those discipleship rhythms that our growth happens to, uh, to be accelerated, it helps us be focused, we learn how to do it, and we learn to bring others along in that as well. So does that make sense, you guys with me so far? Good, because you guys are looking at me like I have no idea. I'm not still speaking Arabic. It's okay. <laughs> we're, we're fine. Okay. Guys, I have uh, some exciting news. I am ex- uh, ecstatic to share after a very long search and an exhausting amount of candidate interviews that pretty much almost killed me. We have hired a director of worship development here at Story City. Yeah. Uh, you'll clap even more when you know when you get to know him. His name is Marquet Fairley, 
And uh, he's the one that led a couple weeks ago with his team. He's officially going to start in his role Wednesday the 1st, and then we'll be leading on stage starting in December. So we're going to give him about 30 days to sort of come in and try and, and not be so overwhelmed with trying to do this on stage as he's trying to figure out how to be an employee here and what story city is all about. Markay, his wife Carmen, and their girls Gabrielle and Savannah are an amazing addition to this team and to this culture. You're going to love them. I can't wait for you to get to spend some time with them. Hopefully uh, next week we'll get to bring them all up on stage and pray over them. I just don't know which service the family's coming to, so we'll pray for Markay, both services, but whatever... Um, the girls are coming to you. We'll bring them up and, and uh, lay hands on them till you get to do that with us. So, cool. I, make them feel welcome when they get here. You're going to love them. It's going to be awesome. All right, let's get to our minute to mingle question for the day. What is one thing that keeps you from being content? You guys are like, thanks for the easy question this morning, Pastor. <laughs> Anybody got anything you're willing to share here this morning that's, uh, what's one, it can be general. It doesn't have to be like, and please don't say your spouse, okay? <laughs> what's one thing that keeps you, yeah, go ahead. Oh, decision fatigue. That's a good one. I like that. All right. Okay. Yourself. Yeah, that's a pretty fair, that's a pretty fair, yep. What, finances? Yeah, definitely. Lifetime. What else? Say it again. Time. I thought you said lifetime. I was like, that network gives me a hard time being content too. But that's for different reasons. So, yeah, time. Time management will be one too. Yeah, what else? Comparison. Comparison. Ooh, that's mine. I'm going to talk about that today. For sure. Not having a husband. Yep. We'll talk about that today too. Meeting the next challenge. Needing. Okay. That's fair. Yep. Yep. I get that. I'm a, I am a, a, a person who thrives off danger. I like danger. And so when I feel like there's not enough adventure or danger, then, then it, it can feel like something's missing for me for sure. Cool. Well, today we're wrapping up. Those are all really good things. We're going to continue to, to, to think about this as we wrap up our series in the book of Philippians. And, and we've learned a lot about joy. And joy comes from uh, this fight, which is about pursuing it. And so we fight for joy by pursuing joy. It means we have to be intentional about going after joy. And so we started off this series by, by learning that we pursue joy by holding on to the truth that God will continue to work in and through us. We learned that God works in all things for our good through his spirit and his church. In the third week, we learned that we must pursue joy by pursuing unity. And after that, we discovered that true joy is found in glor- glorifying God by enjoying him forever. Pastor Justin showed us that all is from God and for God. We then talked about how we pursue joy by giving away and how we pursue joy by holding fast to the certainty of our salvation. This past week, Pastor Samir showed us no matter how hard the battle, gospel peace wins. And so we've been learning a lot about what it means to fight for joy, what that word means, fight, and it has a lot to do with that intentional pursuit. Uh, I've been talking for a lot this morning. Let's stop and pray. And, uh, and I want to pray uh, an adapted prayer from the book of Puritan Prayers this morning because prayer is not a transition piece in service. Right? Prayer is something that we do as we're going, God, we can't do this without you. There's no point in being here or doing this without you. So would you join me as we pray, starting with this prayer from the book of Puritan Prayers. Oh God, most high and glorious, the idea of your boundless serenity comforts us. We work tirelessly and we're troubled and distressed, but you remain in perfect peace eternally. 
Your plans do not bring us fear or worry about being unfulfilled. They are as steadfast as the eternal mountains. Your power knows no limits, and your goodness is boundless. You bring order out of chaos, and our failures become your triumphs. Almighty God, you reign. Lord, we now come to you with hearts of petition. Lord, we pray for peace in the Holy Land. We pray your peace, your unity, your healing, and your restoration for the people of Israel and for the Palestinian people. We pray that you would continue to use Arab Christians and Messianic Jews to lead the way in unity and peace, to model what it means to love God and love our neighbors. Father, we pray for all those here at home impacted by the strikes. We pray for a quick resolution and the restoration of the industry. At the same time, we ask, Father, that you would create ways for your people to thrive and be successful as they seek to model you to all those around them. Would you raise them up in all areas to more impactful and higher positions of leadership so that they may bring honor and glory to your name in the industry? Father, protect all those who are struggling. Your word says you are our provider and protector. Do not withhold. Lead us by your spirit to faithfully follow and obey as we seek to honor you. In the name of Jesus. Amen. For those of you taking notes today, the final big idea of this sermon series is this. Contentment in Christ is the root of joy. Contentment in Christ is the root, it's the heart behind, it's the foundational piece of what joy is. We're going to see today that when we are content in Christ, we can endure all things. We're going to see how a key to contentment in Christ is prioritizing the spiritual over the physical. And finally, how a life of contentment starts and ends with grace. And so Paul's wrapping up this letter to the Philippians, the church in Philippi. And we get this final summarization. We get a salutation in here. Uh, I can't think of another S word, but we get all the S's. And in this section, Paul models the gratitude that he's been talking about through the whole letter. That's the theme of this, right? That's why joy so frequently gets attached to the book of Philippians. And and, and Paul, though, makes this clear distinction that he's grateful for the spiritual things more than the physical things. And it's why he focuses so much on the heart behind their actions. And consequently, he shows us the heart behind Uh, Our actions need to be one of gratitude and why that matters so much as well. Let's go back and look at the full passage for today. It's verses 10 to 23 of Philippians chapter 4. It says this, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly because once again you renewed your care for me. You were, in fact, concerned about me but lacked the opportunity to show it. I don't say this out of need for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I find myself. I know how to make do with little. I know how to make do with a lot. In any and all circumstances, I have learned the secret of being content. Whether well-fed or hungry, whether in abundance or need, I am able to do all things through him who strengthens me. Still, you did well by partnering with me in my hardship. And you Philippians know that in the early days of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you alone. For even in Thessalonica, you sent gifts for my needs several times. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the profit that is increasing to your account. But I have received everything in full, and I have an abundance. I am fully supplied. Having received from Epaphroditus what you provided, a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. And my God will supply all your needs according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. 
Now to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me send you greetings. All the saints send you greetings. All the saints send you greetings, especially those who belong to Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Now verse 10 here gives us the context of what Paul is setting up for in verses 11 to 13. And he starts with the fact that the church in Philippi had sent Epaphrodites to deliver this financial gift. Paul says that he's in hardship. Things have gotten low. He needed the money. Uh, As you recall, he's in chains. He's in prison. Uh, It's a house arrest, but he has to pay for everything, including like the rent on the house. And so the church in Philippi gives him this financial gift and the blessing of Epaphrodites to tell them, hey, here's what's happening. He's sharing good news. He's sharing goodwill. All of this blesses Paul's heart as they uh, cover the cost uh, both uh, monetarily but spiritually and emotionally uh, in their gift to him. And so it's interesting, though, Paul's concern is uh, is, is more than the money itself. Right? Paul says, thank you for this gift, but I want you to know it's the, the, I'm grateful for what's going to happen spiritually because you gave this gift. And, and I want us to hear the difference in what Paul is saying. Right, So imagine this. Imagine that you sent the perfect gift to a nephew. Some of you have to imagine you have a nephew. That's okay. Just go with me. It's all right. Imagine you sent the perfect gift to a nephew, and you receive a card back that says, thank you for the gift. I really wanted that. Right? Some of you are like, dang, my nephew sent me a card. That's amazing. That's, there's nothing wrong with that card, right? Like, that would be a beautiful thing. If somebody responded back with a card and said, thanks for the gift. But imagine this. Imagine that you got this card back from the nephew. And it said, thank you so much for thinking of me. You're always so gracious. And I love that you know me well enough to get me the perfect gift. I will think of you every time that I see this gift. Both are amazing to receive, right? But one communicates gratitude for the gift and the other communicates gratitude for the giver. See the difference? This is what Paul is getting to. And as as Paul is is trying to make a purposeful statement about, hey, the money is great, I appreciate that, but that's not what I'm thankful for. What I'm thankful for is your heart behind why you did what you did. And Paul gets to that. He's showing us what gratitude is really about and modeling for us how we are supposed to have that same gratitude, to love the giver over the gifts. This underlying idea really helps us understand verses 11 to 13. And this brings us, for those taking notes today, to our first observation for the day. When we are content in Christ, we can endure all things. When we are content in Christ, we can endure all things. Now, whenever we read Scripture, or actually any book at all, to understand the context of what the author is saying, we have to look at what statement is being said in light of what comes before and in light of what comes after. It's called context, right? You can take any author's statement, pull it out, and almost make it say what you want it to say, but that doesn't mean that was their intent. We have to understand what is being said. Again, this isn't just the Bible. It's any author. But today, we get to tackle one of my favorite misused verses in Scripture. You might have heard this before. I can do all things through Christ Jesus who strengthens me. Who's heard that before? Yeah, I know, I know non-Christians who have heard that before, right? They're like, I thought that was Nike's slogan. Like, I, I get it, right? Because we see this everywhere, especially tattooed on athletes, right? Like, you know what I mean? They just happen to put their arm on the podium, and it's like Philippians 4.13 in big letters right there, right? 
Here's the thing. That's not the context that Paul is actually using this scripture in. In fact, I can tattoo Philippians 4.13 all over my body. I can fully believe it, and I still can't dunk a basketball. I will still be Filipino. It does not matter. Okay? You... Paul must mean something other than you can do anything you want if you just mention Jesus. Unfortunately, that's what that statement has been like boiled down to. Just if you throw Jesus' name in there, you can accomplish anything that you want to do. So what is Paul referring to? That word that we translate able to can be translated also as or includes this definition, be made healthy enough to or given the power to, to be enabled to, to give the capacity. That phrase, strengthens me, means to give the capacity or capability to. And so Paul is telling us that in Jesus, he has now been made strong and healthy enough to have the capacity or ability to do every kind of thing. Great, that's Philippians 4.13. But contextually, what is every kind of thing that Paul is talking about? We have to look at the verses before. And so what are the things Paul tells us he'd been made healthy enough to do? Take a look at verses 11 to 12. It says this, I don't say this out of need, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I find myself. I know how to make do with little, and I know how to make do with a lot. In any and all circumstances, I have learned the secret of being content, whether well-fed or hungry, whether in abundance or need. Paul says, in Jesus, I have been made strong and healthy enough to have the capacity to be content in every circumstance. To make do with little, to make do with plenty. Whether I'm whop or my account just got clapped, Paul can endure both in poverty and in plenty, fullness and hunger with contentment because of Jesus. That's, that's the statement that he's talking about here. This is what he means. And this is a subtle but huge shift in perspective in how that verse is actually used. See, when we can do all things through Jesus and we say it like that flippant deal, then it's really about us and Jesus becomes our sidekick. It's not that we can do anything and Jesus is our great assistant who comes alongside of us. It's literally we cannot do it at all, but Jesus gives us the power and the ability to see things and experience things and to value things different in him, not apart from him. Now there's two important notes here I want us to pay attention to. First, the passage is literally discussing physical and material needs. That's what Paul's talking about. Right? He's saying, thank you for the physical, monetary gift. I could not have done it if you didn't give that gift. And so in the, the context rule means that we have to apply this. This is applying to financial, economic matters. And so as we're looking at like, what is God giving us this passage for, in the day-to-day financial ups and downs, Paul knew stability that enabled him to rise above them. Secondly, Paul expressed his dependence on the power of the Lord. He knew that where the Lord led him, he had power. The will of God limited the application of the strength that he knew. Many who misapply this verse, they skip that step because they they try to uh, basically create their own will for their own lives. They hope to kind of cover their decisions on their will Uh, instead of going with God's will, with this statement that's like, well, I just said that it's in Jesus' name, so it it has to have this like promise of power. But Paul's expressing something he expresses all over Scripture, this paradox, that he's strong when he's weak, he's independent or self-sufficient only when he's dependent on God. And so fam, what he's trying to say is the key to the ability to endure any hardship, 
financial or otherwise, is simply contentment. And contentment comes from our intentional pursuit of joy in Jesus. I'm going to say that again. The key to the ability to endure is simply contentment. You want to unlock the ability to endure? It's contentment. It's finding contentment, and that comes from our intentional pursuit of joy in Jesus. Let me give you a practical example. One of the things all of us pastors really struggle with is comparison. Every pastor struggles. Why? Because we so often misplace our value, worth, and identity in the three B's of church success. Anybody know what those three B's are? Buts, budgets, and baptisms. That's how pastors value, that's how they measure up against each other, right? We go into a conference, we're like, how big is your church? Oh, we had 900 baptisms just this last week. God's obviously moving here. Oh, you had two? This whole year, that's cool, right? And I, and I hate to like over, <laughs> overstate that, but family, it is, it's bad. Like, like it's, it's so, we are some of the most broken people on the planet, right? Just how psychotherapists are psychotherapists because they're all jacked up. I'm just kidding, there's some in the room. <laughs> it's because we need help, right? The pastors, we need Jesus so badly. <laughs> that's part of why God is like, yeah, you get up there because I want to show them if you can make it, anybody can make it. It's totally fine. But somehow we as pastors, we forget that we're not called to success, but obedience. God grows his church. It's not our ability to grow his church. Anything that's built on our charisma or our fancy programs, it may look good and it may draw people for a time, but it will always fail because it will fall flat because it's not sustained by God. It's built on us because it's not healthy. One of the problems is we get to this place as pastors where we think, oh, if I didn't just have all this mess to deal with, then I'd be much more able to do all the things that God has called me to and gifted me to do in his kingdom. All the things I dream of for God. But the problem is, God gave us that mess, and that mess is our ministry. Pastoring would be so much easier if there was no people. (laughs) See, family, the same thing goes for us, though. This isn't just a pastor's failing, right? Where do we find contentment? Are we content? Are we seeking contentment? Are we looking at our personal finances? Are we looking at our singleness? Are we looking at our marriage? Are we looking at our careers? Where do we need to find contentment even when what we have is not enough? Even when what we have is not enough. For those taking notes today, this brings us to our second observation. A key to contentment in Christ is prioritizing the spiritual over the physical. And this is really the only way we can be content, right? Because, look, it's too hard to value. If we're looking at the physical, we will always be short. We will never have everything we want or need. Never, you're never going to have it. I've talked to people who are multimillionaires, and it's like, they're like, oh, yeah, I, I just, if I can just make the next level, I'll have It's like, Really? I remember my family being in, in some of the worst times financially, like very little to eat. We're like, oh, if we could just get to this level, then we'd have enough. It, it's never quite enough. And so if you look at this, prioritizing the spiritual over the physical allows us to understand what's really important. We find contentment even when it's not enough. Paul says in verse 14, even though I'm able to endure, I still needed the help. It's great that you still gave me the gift because I had the hardship. And, and so I'm, I'm super grateful. But like the analogy of the gift 
and the card earlier, Paul's clarifying why he's thankful. See, Paul isn't just vowing the money for the sake of the money. Let's look at the middle parts of this passage again, verses 14 and 15. 14 says this, it says, Still you did well by partnering with me in my hardship. So I'm still grateful, like I still need the money. Don't stop doing that. And you Philippians know that in the early days of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except for you alone. Verse 16, for even in Thessalonica you sent gifts for my needs several times. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the profit that is increasing to your account. That's going to be key for us. But I've received everything in full, and I have an abundance. I am fully supplied, having received from Epaphroditus what you provided. This word again is interesting. A fragrant, off, a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. And my God will supply all of your needs according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Now to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Now verses 15 and 16 are high praise from Paul. This is, this is like special. Paul is saying, look, family, you guys un uniquely supported me. Like unequivocally, you guys did something special. You supported me when others haven't. Even when Paul and his team are planting a church in Thessalonica, the, the people in Philippi didn't assume, well, the Thessalonians got this. Other people are taking care of it. They didn't just assume that somebody else is going to support the mission. They believe in Paul and the mission so much that they went all in on their support, not just once, but multiple times. And then we get to verse 17. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the profit that's increasing to your account. It's important to remember that Paul is their first pastor. Paul planted this church. And they've continued to support Paul and his ministry. And Paul then is deeply concerned about their spiritual growth and their spiritual development. That's really what drives Paul. He's like, I love you people. You're, you're my children. Family, when I had to leave my last church, leaving that pastor, it was like giving away a, a, a daughter to be married. Like I had poured my heart and soul, my life into those people for the last 10 years. And I felt like handing off was like, man, I hope this person loves them as well as I can. And, and sure enough, he has done a phenomenal job. But it, it was a, a really hard moment. And this is exactly what Paul is getting to. It's a, it's a burden that all good pastors share for their congregation. He lets them and us know that this gift, though, isn't just a blessing to him, that their care and concern for him and for the ministry is actually a generous blessing to God. And that's a stunning statement. Verse 18, but I've received everything in full and I have an abundance. I'm fully supplied, having received from Epaphroditus, what you provided, a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. Paul isn't making up a new idea that their giving is, is going to God directly by giving to him. That's not a new idea. This is why we have tithe in church, right? You're like, why don't I just give directly? Well, we tithe together because we can do more collectively than we can individually. That, that's the reality, right? Like we have the ability, we collect everybody's finances, we take care of the stuff that moves ministry forward, but we can do more together than we can separately. But this idea comes from Jesus too. Jesus says in Matthew 25, 40 to 45, and the king will answer to them, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Then he will also say to those on the left, depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger and you didn't take me in. I was naked and you didn't clothe me. Sick and in prison and you didn't take care of me. Then they too will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or without clothes or sick or in prison and not help you? Then he will answer them, truly I tell you, 
Whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. The idea of caring for the widow, the orphan, the poor, the broken, the marginalized, the immigrant, those who cannot stand up for themselves is an idea that is deeply close to the heart of God. It's, it's why, family, why we, you know, we don't make a statement on everything, but we will always make statements on issues of injustice. Why? Because that's what God has called us to do. That's what God has called us to do. It's why foster care and adoption is our major here. Because we believe it impacts every single issue. In the county of Los Angeles, we can, almost every single issue we can address through the foster care system. Right? In fact, I love it when people say, the God of the Old Testament seems really angry and the God of the New Testament seems really loving. It's the same God. It's, it's, it's a misunderstanding of his character. Why? Because do we know what God gets angry at? Yes, God gets angry in the Old Testament. Most often, it's when the people of Israel are acting like the nations around them and not caring for the broken, the widow, the orphan, the poor, the marginalized, those who cannot stand up for themselves. It's about injustice. That's what God gets angry about. That's what he gets angry about other nations for, for not treating people well. Obviously for worshiping other gods, but that's what he's saying. It's like you're... you're I have a different way of the way that we love people. You must follow my way. It's what I care about. And this is why Jesus' statement in Matthew is so strongly worded. It's because this is the same God, Old Testament to New, that cares so deeply. And he's been exhibiting that same character from the beginning of the Bible to the end. Giving to God's mission is a part of prioritizing the spiritual over the physical. It's exactly what God is saying. Like, look, this, this is how we care for the community around us. And God values that. In verse 19, Paul tells us one of the results of prioritizing the spiritual over the physical is that when we give away, we never have to worry about not having enough because God knows our needs and will provide. It's not like he's surprised. Oh, you gave that away? Well, good luck. I hope you make it now, right? Like God knows. He knows our needs. This is why he says, verse 19, and my God will supply all your needs according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Now, listen. When he says that, he's not saying, hey, give me $100, and I'm going to give you back 1000 That's not what he's talking about. Why? Because Paul already told us what he needs is the ability in Jesus to do what? To endure. And so what he's talking about here is when it says God is going to supply all my needs, he's saying God is going to supply everything we need to be content in our ability to endure in Christ. And in Paul's days, these letters were meant to be read aloud to the church they were addressed to and then shared and read aloud to uh, other churches as well. And so, uh, so as Paul writes, we're going to see kind of the end of the teaching portion of this. Verse 20 is a short doxology. It ends kind of the instruction portion of the letter, and it moves us into the greeting portion. It says, now to, God, to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. That's, that's doxology. He's sort of ending that, and then it, and it brings us to our final observation for the day for those taking notes. When we started this journey through Paul's letter, we saw him open the letter with a pronouncement of grace. And Paul writes in chapter 1, verse 2, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Christ Jesus. And now we have this beautiful ending where once again Paul brings us back to the grace of our gracious God. Verse 23, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Worship him, you guys can make your way back up here. He ties the beginning and the end of this book together in this stark reminder that grace is exactly what we need. But it's also everything that God provides. 
And he provides it not because we've earned it or deserved it, but because he is gracious and loving. Grace is, as somebody has said, God's riches at Christ's expense. Bless you. So family, here's what we've learned today. That contentment in Christ is the root of joy. We saw that when we are content in Christ, we can endure all things. We saw that how when... Uh, we saw finally how a, I'm sorry, that, uh, yeah, prioritizing the spiritual, the physical, and finally how a life of contentment starts and ends with grace. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, as we conclude this time of worship and service, we stop to reflect for just a moment on what you've said to us through praise and scripture. We express gratitude for all you are doing in us and through us. And as we prepare our hearts to leave, we ask that you would help us to love you and everyone around us with all we are and have. May the way we live bring you glory and may we carry the message of your love and grace with us wherever we go. And now to this community of Christ apprentices, we pronounce this benediction. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of the Father, and the unity of the Holy Spirit abide with us always. May our love for Jesus and people be continually growing. Go and be the church. Amen.